0: The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International.
1: It's hard to grasp the depth of this kind of welcoming love. We're invited to come just as we are with our limps and crutches and zero qualifications. God wants to lavish that kind of grace on you as well. It doesn't matter what you have gone through. It doesn't matter where you've come from. God loves you.
0: Sheila Walsh explores God's gift of grace.
1: Hi, I'm Sheila Walsh. Welcome to Life Today. So glad you could join us. And I hope you can stay for the whole programme because I've got some amazing things I want to show you toward the end. Ways that you and I can actually physically make a difference in this world. I got a letter from, um, I think she said she was a 15-year-old girl the other day. And she was talking about grace. She said, you know, it's a concept I've heard since I, you know, was tiny, you know, mom and dad take me to church and I hear about grace and I hear about amazing grace and all of that. But sometimes I feel as if God has forgotten about me. You know, I see God answering the prayers of, of other friends of mine in school or in church, but sometimes I wonder, God, do do you still see me? Do you still care about me? Obviously I wrote back to her and, and talked about her concerns, but it made me think, um, and kind of dive deep into the Word of God. I I don't know how much you read the Bible. I don't know whether it's a kind of last resort, but for me, it's like the first place I go to because there is nothing that you and I are gonna face today or tomorrow that is not addressed in the Word of God. Well, I thought about this whole idea of feeling maybe forgotten or passed over and of all the stories of grace found in God's Word, The one, apart obviously, from the cross of Christ that moves me most is found tucked deep into the heart of King David's story. And it's kind of an obscure passage about a man whose name I can barely pronounce. I will give it a shot. Mephibosheth. Actually, that's right, Mephibosheth. Well, his story is found in 2 Samuel chapter nine, and it's during the highest point in David's reign, right before his sin with Bathsheba well the israelite army had destroyed thousands of its enemies in fact we read this the lord made david victorious wherever he went israel had never been in a stronger place as david took time to reflect on the past he remembered a promise he'd made to his very best friend jonathan Do you remember the incident in the field where Jonathan told David he would send a sign by arrows to let him know whether it was safe to come back to the palace or not? You find that passage in 1 Samuel chapter 20, and this is what Jonathan said. If my father speaks favorably about you, he said, I'll let you know. But if he is angry and wants wants you killed, may the Lord strike me And even kill me if I don't warn you so you can escape and live. May the Lord be with you as he used to be with my father. What sad words. And may you treat me with the faithful love of the Lord as long as I live. But Jonathan went on to say this. But if I die, treat my family with this faithful love. Even when the Lord destroys all your enemies from the face of the earth. I don't know if you know this, but it was the custom in those days that when a new king ascended the throne, all the descendants of the previous king were slaughtered to remove even the possibility of a revolt. I mean, what a barbaric custom, but that's how they did it. Well, Jonathan asked David to show grace to his family if he was no longer there. And David said he would. Well, not only had David made a promise to his beloved friend, you might remember he also made a promise to Saul, to King Saul, Jonathan's father. He had said, and now this is what Saul said to David in one of his more lucid moments because he really had become a madman. He said, and now I realize that you are surely going to be king, Saul had told him, and that the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. Now swear to me by the Lord, that when that happens, you will not kill my family and destroy my line of descendants. The Bible tells us that David promised this to Saul with an oath. Keeping a promise like that would have meant very little to King Saul. There's nothing sadder than when you sense the Holy Spirit has left someone. But David was a different man. David was a man of his word. What could he now do to honor this promise because by this point, Saul and Jonathan are both dead. And as far as David knew, there would be no survivors in their line, but still David determined that he wanted to find out. We read, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Do you see the grace tucked into those words. He didn't ask if there was anyone noble left. He asked, is there anyone left? See, that's what grace is. Grace says, it doesn't matter who you are. You get to come as you are. Well, David called for Ziba, one of Saul's former servants, and he asked him if he knew of anyone from Saul's line who was still alive. Well, Ziba said, yes, one of Jonathan's sons, is still alive. But then he added this, he's crippled in both feet. I wonder why he told him that detail. Was he trying to let David know that this crippled man probably wouldn't fit in, in this beautiful, luxurious palace? Well, this man, Mephibosheth, was the only survivor of King Saul's line. And he'd suffered a lot, a lot over his lifetime. In 2 Samuel chapter 4, we find out what actually happened to him. Mephibosheth was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. Well, when the little boy's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and hurried out of the palace. But as she hurried away, she dropped him, and we read that he became crippled. I mean, I can only... Imagine the scene. The nurse didn't know the promise that David had made to Saul or to Jonathan. So when she heard that they were both dead, she knew she had to get this boy out of the palace before David's men would kill the one who would now stand in line to be heir to the throne. And we don't know if, whether she tripped or if he struggled in her arms, but he fell so hard that he broke his legs and had been crippled ever since. Well, Mephibosheth lived in a place called Lo Debar, which translates as no pasture land. It's kind of a descriptive picture of his life. For years, he'd been hidden away in a barren, grassless place until grace would come looking for him. Well, I can't imagine what he must have thought when David's men knocked at the door. When you have soldiers come to knock at the door, I'm sure it's not a little polite Avon calling. Perhaps he'd spent years waiting for the other shoe to drop, knowing he should have been killed when he was a child, waiting to be discovered. And now the very thing he dreaded had come to pass. Well, the men took him, they took him to Jerusalem, right into the king's palace. Mephibosheth bowed low to the ground, I'm sure heart beating fast in his chest, expecting the worst. And we know that because of how King David responds to him. This is what David said. Don't be afraid, he went on to say, I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. I can imagine him just seeing the fear etched on this broken man's face, but grace soaked this crippled man to the skin. Not only would his life be spared, everything that used to belong to his grandfather would now be his, but grace Grace goes beyond. The grace that was shown to him was even greater than that. He was offered a seat at King David's table. He was welcomed home as family. And isn't that what we all want? We all want to be wanted, to belong, and to be given what we know we don't deserve, but oh boy, do we long for it. I can kind of imagine the scene at dinner time. You know, David is seated at the head of the table. His sons and daughter gathered there. And then as Chuck Swindoll wrote in his beautiful book, What's So Amazing About Grace? This is what how Chuck described it. They hear the clump, 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 clump. And here comes Mephibosheth hobbling along. He smiles and humbly joins the others as he takes his place at the table as one of the king's sons, and the tablecloth of grace covers his feet. I mean, what a beautiful picture. Just as David, out of love for Jonathan, lavished grace on his child, so God, out of his great love for Christ, gives you and me a place at the table, not just as invited guests, but as sons and daughters. It's hard to grasp the depth of this kind of welcoming love. We're invited to come just as we are with our limps and crutches and zero qualifications. David could have restored Saul's wealth to Mephibosheth and sent him off, but he did so much more than that. He made him a son. And when you've been shown that kind of grace, you long to share it with others. You know, I've told you in past programs that I had spent a month in a psychiatric hospital in the 1990s. But uh, a couple of weeks after I was released, Ruth Bell Graham, Billy Graham's wife, invited me to spend a couple of days at their North Carolina home. I remember flying into Asheville Airport and one of their staff picked me up and drove me 30 minutes to the house set high in the beautiful Carolina mountains. And Ruth met me at the gate and introduced me to their two ginormous German Shepherd dogs. Apparently it was very important that they knew I was a friend, so I was glad she did that. Well, it was a lovely afternoon and we sat outside in our rocking chairs, drinking iced tea and enjoying the quiet. And I think Ruth could see that I was tired. So after dinner, she showed me to my bedroom and asked if I'd like a cup of tea. You know, it's a memory that I treasure. As far as I remember, Billy and his team were off doing a crusade, so Ruth and I and the two dogs had the place to ourselves. There was a high bed with little wooden steps beside it and crisp white linens that Ruth told me she bought one time on a trip to Switzerland. I was tucked up in bed when she came back with my tea and asked if she could read to me. She sat at the bottom of the bed with an old Scottish book beside the Bonnie Briar Bush by a man called Ian McLaren. And she thumbed through the well-worn pages, I could tell she's read it many times, till she found what she was looking for. A beautiful story called The Transformation of Lachlan Campbell. Ruth asked me if I knew the story, but I didn't. So she said, it's about a young girl, Flora Campbell, whose mother had died. And her father was a very strict, judgmental man. And he was now raising her. Their home was a truly graceless place. And her father's rules were so confining. She always felt like a failure, that she didn't live up to the standards of her religious father. So one day she ran away. She went all the way to London. And her dad was so furious that he removed her name from the family Bible. She was miserable, completely alone in London. one night she made her way into a church, Ruth continued, and she began to read to me. You maybe know that a wounded deer will try to hide herself. And I crept into the shadow of a church and I wept. Then the people and the noise and the houses passed away like the mist on the hills of Scotland. And I was walking to the Kirk, Scottish word for church with my father. Oh yes, and I saw you all in your places, and I heard the Psalms, and I could see through the window, the green fields and the trees on the edge of the moor. And I saw my home with the dogs before the door and the flowers that I planted and the lamb coming for her milk. And I heard myself singing and I awoke, but there was singing and it was beautiful too cause the dark church was open and the light was falling over my head. And I heard this hymn There is a fountain filled with blood. Well, Ruth paused for a moment and she said, life is unbearable without grace. They both needed it, the daughter and the father. This is my favorite part, for Flora makes her way home. Well, Ruth continued to read to me. When she reached the door, her strength had departed and she was not able to knock, but there was no need for the dogs who never forget or never cast off, were bidding her welcome with short joyous yelps of delight. And she could hear her father feeling for the latch, which for once could not be found and saying nothing but Flora, Flora. Well, just like the prodigal son, she'd made up some kind of speech so her dad would accept her home. But the only word she ever heard said was father. As he came running to her and he'd never kissed her all the days of her life but he grabbed her and held her close, sobbing out her name and calling blessings over her head while the dogs licked her hands with their soft, kindly tongues. I'll never forget that night or the grace that was lavished all over me by Ruth Graham. And I want you to know, yeah, that was a privilege. I mean, I would never have imagined some little Scottish girl growing up without a dad on the west coast of Scotland. Who would ever have thought that at some point, particularly at the worst point in my life, having just been released from a psych hospital, would be sitting in Ruth Graham's home, having her read a story. Here's what I want you to know. God wants to lavish that kind of grace on you as well. It doesn't matter what you have gone through. It doesn't matter where you've come from. God loves you So often we think, well, if I could just clean myself up. And grace says, no, come as you are. And maybe, you know, when you think of the story of Mephibosheth, there were many years when it felt as if perhaps grace would never come looking for him. But it's no accident that that story is included, just tucked in there in the great tale of the greatest king that Israel had ever known. There's a story of a little boy, whose legs were broken, and who walked with a limp the rest of his life until grace came looking for him. Perhaps in some ways you feel that you were kind of crippled in your childhood. I understand that, but I want you to know that grace comes looking for you, finds you where you are, you know, in a place perhaps that feels like a barren, graceless place, and invites you not just to to come into the house for a cup of tea and a story read, but gives you a seat at the table and calls you a son or a daughter. If you don't know this love, I ask you today, would you open your heart to God and simply say, God, I want to know that kind of love. I want to be your son. I want to be your daughter. I know I need to be forgiven. But thank you, Jesus, that you died for me so that I could live. It doesn't matter whether you're watching this program in a homeless shelter, in a palace, whether you're on one side of the world or the other, Grace comes knocking at the door for each one of us and says, come on, take a seat at the table. But there's some other people I mentioned at the top of the show. You and I are going to get to do something historical and make a difference. And what I'd love you to do is, will you please watch this video, and I'll come back and tell you how we can make a difference.
2: South Sudan is in crisis. The extreme heat and arid landscape are oppressive and unforgiving, leaving people of the land defenseless against the famine that afflicts them. The vegetation here is so scarce mothers have no choice but to feed their children wild fruit that often proves to be toxic itself. As a result, countless children have lost their lives to poisonous food and malnutrition. Their mothers are left with both immense grief and crippling fear over the health of their remaining children. For Nagu, the loss is very fresh, but mourning her daughter is a distraction she can't afford as she fights for the survival of her baby, who has also fallen ill to this mother this is the very last thing she has her child is the last of what she's got she's lost her husband just three days ago she buried her four-year-old child I can't begin to to imagine what it would be like to, to live in this environment. We cannot bring mission feeding here unless you do what you can do.
1: I cannot even begin to imagine the life of that mom. That is not a woman in Africa, that's our sister. She happened to be born in Africa, and I happened to be born in Scotland. But to think that you would have children, and that your child would cry out and say, Mom, I'm hungry, and you not to be able to give them anything. Do you see that little shack that she was living in? I mean, it just, it looked like something I used to build for fun in the backyard for my son. That's their home, because they'll, now that she's lost her husband, she's completely on her own. She's lost her four-year-old. So they'll they will move, as, as they use up anything that's on the ground, they'll move on to some area and try to find something else. But do you know what blew me away most? She said, all I can do is pray and ask God to help. She's not cursing God. She's not saying, you know, there is no God. She's asking God for help. Well, then God asks us, do you hear her cry? And I say, yes, we do. We have made a commitment to feed 400,000 children in Africa. They are waiting for that. That's a promise we've made to our workers on the ground there. But, you know, Betty once said something that I think is so profound. She said, We never want the line of children to be longer than the amount of food we have. So we have to keep it up. But we can do it for so little. The thing that's amazing to me about Mission Feeding is every single one of us can do something. Do you know that $30 will feed three children for three months? Three months, $50 feeds five children for three months and 100 will feed 10 children for three months. I mean, think of, going into Starbucks or anywhere, going to a movie, 30 bucks goes like that. But to think that we could be the answer to a mother who is, she's, she looks so alone. I mean, she's got nobody, she's got no family. We are her family. We are the body of Christ on this planet. And we can do something, but we have to do it now. South Sudan is in crisis. So let's do something about it. Would you please? You know, if I don't give if you're 15 or 85, whatever you can spare, would you dial that number on your screen? Would you, would, would you go online? Would you give the best gift possible? Skip something, you know, like skip a pedicure. I mean, skip anything and, and that would feed, if you did that for $30, that would feed three children for three months. I mean, every one of us can do something. So I'm asking you in Jesus' name, Jesus said, I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. But then he turned to the right and said, I was hungry and you fed me. And he said, Lord, when did we do that? Whenever you did it to the least of these, you did it for me. Please, would you call now? Thank you.
0: In impoverished and drought-stricken areas of Africa, children are suffering. The need is great and without food, they face severe malnutrition, even death. Through Life's Mission Feeding Outreach, you can save lives by feeding and caring for children currently suffering from starvation in parts of Angola, Mozambique, and South Sudan. With previous reserves gone and Mission Feeding helping in areas of great famine, we urgently need your support to replenish food supplies to reach the 400,000 children who are counting on us. Your life-saving gift of 30, 50, dollars or $100 will help feed and care for three, five, or 10 children. With your gift, we'll send you The James Code by O.S. Hawkins, an outstanding devotional to help you go from knowing about God to living for God and putting your faith into action. You'll also enjoy this beautifully crafted leather bookmark. With your gift of $100 or more, please request the Passion Translation Bible. This New Testament edition, including Psalms and Proverbs, ignites the passion of the Bible to modern readers by merging the passion of God's heart for His children with the life-changing truth of His Word. Finally, with your gift of $1,000 or more to help feed and care for 100 children, be sure to request our commemorative bronze sculpture, Safe in the Shepherd's Arms. Please call, write or make your gift online today.
2: I so clearly remember when I first came to South Sudan many, many years ago. and. I remember walking through some of the villages here, a lot like this village I'm in today, and just being shocked, shocked by the fact that there could be a place on earth where mothers bury their children every month, every week, some places like this village, every day. And that's why I just, I I come to you today as I talk about what we saw then and what we're seeing now, the fact that Over these years, we've been able to save so many millions of lives. We've had such a huge impact here in South Sudan. And yet, today we come into a village that we've just started working in, and we talk to mothers, mother after mother, who tell us their devastating stories please, we have to continue what we're doing in this village and we have to reach the villages next door to here that we're not getting to yet, where children are literally starving to death. This is a crisis and it's a crisis that only we can solve because we're here and with the gifts of the friends of life, we can bring life to these villages.
1: Thank you so much. I mean, thank you for the way that you respond over and over again. Let's do it one more time. Or well, for any gift at all, we will send you the James code by my really good friend, O.S. Hawkins. It's fantastic. And if you're able to give $100, this beautiful edition of the Passion Bible, and if you're, if God's blessed you, you can give $1,000. We have a stunning bronze to send you. But I, I love the fact that if you do your part and I do my part and we all do it together. I mean, whenever my son sees our mission feeding stuff, he immediately wants to be part of it. If every single one of us does our part, then we will be able to make sure that we feed 400,000 children in Africa this year alone. So I'm Sheila Walsh. Thank you so much for joining me today on Life Today. Until the next time, may God bless you with his grace.
0: Your genes are not static. Your genes have an off and on switch. Ten habits of wellness that will enable you to live out your unique purpose. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.